That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio. Uh, we're getting into a uh, fun Saturday afternoon recording here, so uh, we might get a bit punchy. Don't mind that. Uh, we've got Grandpa Batman in Texas. Oh my God! <laughs> That's my walk-up song now. All right, lot lot to uh, to live up to. We've got Bat Force Tom in California. Hey guys, <laughs> we got Teasus in Jersey. Yo, and I'm Robin Cross in Canada. And this week's guest is no stranger to the show. Uh, he joined us uh, just in the last couple months. Uh, he is a creator, author, and illustrator of Bloody Hell, and now also the author of Batman Presents uh, Batman White Knight Presents Red Hood, which begins this week, August second, with the first of two issues, along with Sean Murphy, Simone DeMeo, and Dave Stewart. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Clay McCormick. Hey, guys. How you doing? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Quite the introduction. You. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, sit through it. Uh, now, you're fresh off uh, San Diego. How was that getting yeah. back to uh, con life after a few years? Uh, it was good. You know, I, I hadn't been to San Diego in 15 years. I went, uh, I've only been there once right out of college. And uh, it was pretty overwhelming the first time that I went. I uh, I brought a friend with me who had never been to a show before, and um, he's like, "Well, how do you usually do this?" And I go, "Well, I usually kind of walk around the the, the edge and then kind of zigzag my way through." And uh, the first day we were there, we didn't even get all the way around because it was like you know it's like a mile and a half or something like that, and it was uh, just jam packed. And so this year, I was kind of expecting that, and I don't know if it was more than I'm used to bigger shows now, or if it was just a combination of not everybody showing up or COVID protocols or what, but I didn't think it was that stacked as far as people went. I didn't find it uh, difficult to move around that much. And uh, there there was obviously still a lot of people there, but um, it wasn't as tight as I was expecting it to be and wasn't quite as overwhelming. How would you uh, compare it, Tom, as someone who's there all the time? I think that's pretty spot on. Um, I, yeah, it was weird. It was weird that it wasn't as crazy as it has been the last couple of years. And I think like Clay was saying, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with a lot of talent. Um, the biggest studios didn't show up like Warner Brothers wasn't there. There was no major presence from like, you know, Marvel or DC. It was all pretty like low key as far as that's concerned. And, you know, all the craziness of TV and movies, I think those people were primarily outside trying to get into the big panels for hall h so 
I think it was like a lot of separation. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have any TV show signings on the floor. They didn't have any movie signings on the floor. And a lot of times that jams up aisles and it jams up, you know, sections of the con. And it, it mm. felt, I remember Legends was saying, you know, he was walking down the main aisle on like Saturday and there's like all this space. He thought that was crazy. So, yeah, I definitely got that sense too where it was not nearly as congested. Kind of nice. But it, it may also be that you're uh, accustomed to bigger cons. I've only been to one San Diego, but... uh I go to Fan Expo in Toronto here every year. And mm. when I went to San Diego the first time, uh, which was the, the last one before the pandemic, uh, I, I expected that. You know, I expected it to be to be this big, uh, overwhelming thing. But I really didn't find it to feel much different than, than the Toronto show. Yeah, I feel like uh, New York feels bigger to me, actually, um, yeah. than, than this one did. Um, and the last time I went out, I don't think New York had expanded to what it is now yet uh where it takes over literally the entire convention center um i actually was i was telling someone the last new york that i went to i was walking around artist alley and i took a moment and realized that art the room that was just artist alley was the entirety of the convention the first year that i went which was like 2004 2005 or something like that so it clearly has sized up and uh that, that seemed that seemed bigger to me than than san diego did but also i don't know maybe i just didn't see everything but yes san diego's uh artist alley didn't seem particularly huge like uh, yeah. i'm accustomed yeah. to the to the toronto one and the the fan expo artist alley is like you know like it's like the size of a football field mm. it's a it's a large area yeah they're starting to uh it's nice to see at least though like uh the comic sketch art uh group is like doubling the size of what artist alley used to be that's nice to see yeah so where it used to be just one little strip now it's about double that because of because of uh you know the the way that they're kind of you know teaming up um with certain groups which is cool is there a section kind of flowing still pretty well now that they're expanding or is it more like because typically they kind of have like a reservation um setup right you kind of sketch art yeah yeah they uh yeah like uh doug has doug had it seemed like a big a big like corner or like part of the corner uh right next to artist alley and then he had then some of his like you know artists are in artist alley some of the writers too clay you guys were signing technically with doug right isn't it like was that one of his booths that he was uh uh one the, the one on friday maybe honestly no. i don't know the the guy that we were talking to who was in charge at our table was named steve i think mm-hmm. um from big wow uh mm-hmm. that's the extent of my knowledge of, of gotcha. i just kind of showed up and they were like sit here i'm like okay okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so this this was your final con before being largely now known as a batman author now uh, by the time you're back at another con sure that'll be a that'll be a what people know you for now so yeah that this is only the second time that someone besides Sean has written a White Knight story. The first, obviously, being Katana on the Harley series. But mm-hmm. uh, you're already a veteran of the White Knight universe, having been a part of its world building uh, behind the scenes right from the start. You know, Sean has not been shy about giving you credit when discussing the work over the years. Uh, but would you like to explain your involvement uh, so people understand that this isn't someone new stepping into the world that they've loved from issue one? Sure. I, I, I've always, I've always wondered if that was going to, what the, the fence was going to be regarding that. Cause you know, nobody knows who the hell I am. So I don't know why would they let me write one of these, but um, <laughs> I, uh, when Sean started the project, 
2017. He and I were pretty are, were are, were and are good friends, and I was part of his uh, apprenticeship program that he ran a few years before that. And um, he started sending me the scripts. He he kind of worked over some of the ideas and and tossed them my way to see what I thought of them. And uh, he was running into editorial problems as far as like keeping himself on schedule and so he kind of unofficially hired me to start working as like a content editor so um basically the the flow would be he'd write the script he'd send it to me i'd give him notes he would put the notes in and then he would send it off to dc and um you know that went really well for the first round of uh white knight the first volume and then volume two I was involved a little bit more. We, we kind of, we, I helped him break the story a little bit and then, um, you know, still looked over some scripts and, and, and gave, uh, suggestions and, and content edits and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I still continue to do it on, uh, beyond the white Knight. I wasn't so much involved with Harley, uh, because there was always, there was already multiple people involved with that one. I, you know, I don't think they needed me for that. Um, it needed another, 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 person but uh i i looked at a couple of the scripts and i i i uh i uh i might have given a point a, a note here or there but nothing too substantial um but yeah and so it came to the point where as i was doing this sean was not able to give me any official credit for various uh red tape reasons at, uh-huh. at dc and so um, when it came time to do this spinoff for red hood he asked me if i wanted to write it and you know I of course said yes because I wasn't going to say no. And did you guys always kind of know that Red Hood would get his own little story, or did this just uh, find its way into existence as the story progressed? No, it it definitely was never the plan from the beginning. Um, the story goes, as I'm sure you, Sean has probably told, I've probably told. I, I think it's actually in the back of of, of the issue. I kind of talk about it in the little write up thing I did. Yeah. Um, when he was writing White Knight, he sent me the script, and I, I one of the notes I sent back was, "Oh, you changed the order of the Robins. That's a that's a bold move." <laughs> and he wrote, he wrote back to me, he's like, "What are you talking about?" And I and I said, "Well, you have Jason Todd as the first Robin, which is not usually how that goes." And so it was just a. It started off as like something he just kind of put in the background of one issue, like on a gravestone, I think. And then it ended up kind of expanding out into this thing that he just ended up leaning into instead of uh, uh, fixing it or trying to be like, yeah, I made a mistake. It it became the, the canon of the stories that Jason Todd was the first Robin. And um, he kept coming back to this night where Jason gets captured by the Joker and tortured and it ended up kind of becoming this sort of hub that affected everybody in the story. Like it affects Bruce, obviously it affects Dick because Dick has to follow up Jason and and all that kind of stuff. It affects Harley. It affects Joker. um, It affects Bruce. Uh, But we never really learned how it affected Jason. It was always just sort of this abstract event that was part of the, the history, but never really expanded on past the one moment where joker has jason tied to a chair and jason gives up that that bruce wayne is batman and so when it came time to do another spinoff it seemed like the most natural thing to do 
Um, cause obviously he's got a really big fan base and, and people really love Jason Todd. So it was, uh, um, it ended up when we got to that point, it seemed like the right thing to do, but it was not like when Sean started this five years ago, he's like, eventually I want to do a, a red hood spinoff. But having that order, uh, as things have played out, it has worked really well in giving this place for Jason to exist where he is this first Robin and Dick knows that, you know, he was the one before him. We see the, the scene in this book where there's the encounter and we will, we'll we'll go spoilers here because we'll put this out the day that uh, the issue is in stores. But uh, there's that encounter between Dick and Jason where Jason knows who Dick is, Mm -hmm. but Dick doesn't know who Jason is because he, he still believes at that point that, that Jason is dead. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, that was one of the first things that was in Sean's pitch to me. That was one of the the big elements was that uh, Dick and Jason have some sort of confrontation where Jason knows who Dick is, but Dick doesn't know who Jason is, which, uh, adds a, a nice kind of twist to uh, to what's going on in that scene because as far as Dick is concerned, Jason is just a, uh, uh, a, a drifter who's hassling this kid, but he also happens to know how to get out of Batman handcuffs and gets a punch in on Nightwing. So there's something weird about this guy, but obviously he's uh, he thinks he just got lucky. He doesn't realize he's he's fighting the first Robin in that sense. Yeah. And, uh, it's no secret you guys have spoken about this before that uh, you used the Cobra Kai Johnny Lawrence uh, mm-hmm. yes. model yeah. for for Jason. You know he's kind of at that point in his life where where we meet Johnny. Uh, for everyone who watched Cobra Kai, if you haven't, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> go go watch Cobra Kai. But we we meet Jason at that point. You know he's sort of at his rock bottom, and he's he has failed out of a, a few different things that he has tried to do post being a Robin mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, isn't in a great way. And uh, similarly to Johnny, what uh, helps him get out of that position? He, he meets a sort of young protege. Yeah. The Johnny Lawrence thing was, was kind of the, the clicking point for me um, because I, uh, I generally don't I as far as my storytelling sensibilities go, I don't love flashbacks or extended flashbacks and I know that this was I knew that this was what that was going to be and so I really needed to find a, something that I could grasp onto to be like okay, that's the story. I understand how to do this now. And when we were just kicking it around, somehow we ended up on oh, he's Johnny Lawrence from Cobra Kai. He's kind of he's he doesn't have a place in the world. He kind of has his own way of doing things. And he meets this kid that he has to kind of who, who straightens him out while he also has to impart his knowledge on to. And we thought that was a great analog because uh, Jason's got such a huge chip on his shoulder that um, at first when he meets Gan, who is this protege, uh, he wants nothing to do with it. She wants him to train him, but he realizes he then sees it as an opportunity to prove to himself and, or maybe Batman that he was right all along that Jason was right all along. Mm-hmm. And so he takes the opportunity to say like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I can build, I can do it better than Batman because Batman clearly screwed up with me, but I know what he did wrong. So I can build a better Robin. And of course, 
everybody in any story that's ever been told who is that confident is absolutely right and nothing bad ever happens. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> and uh that is it what comes from that though, you know, obviously uh he has that attitude and he sees right away that it doesn't go the way he thought it would. You know, he he isn't able to train her the way that he was trained. Mm -hmm. But we do see that growth in him when we see him come to the realization, to his credit, pretty quickly that, okay, I can't train you the way I was trained because you're not me. Mm. I have to train you like you. Because she turns out to be a, a very different uh, potential crime fighter than than he was. Yeah, he comes to that uh, conclusion pretty quickly um, due to page count. But uh, he, um, yeah, it's one of the things that we really wanted to do was I, we wanted to have his protege be someone who was not your typical Robin type because Jason and Dick, they're both acrobatic high flyers. Uh, that's traditionally what Robin is. And so that's what he knows. That's how he knows to train people. And so we thought, well, let's make Gan someone who's a little bit, who's a different body type, who's uh, uh, a little bit uh, more built like a rugby player, lower center of gravity kind of thing, who she, she's not someone who flips and jumps and stuff. She doesn't like heights. And so he tries to, he tries to impart on her the stuff that he knows, but it doesn't work with her. And so he is forced as you're saying, to try and figure out how to train her like her, not how to train him, train her like him. And uh, it's kind of the first step for him in, in realizing maybe everything he thinks he knows isn't, isn't always correct. And now uh, for Gramps and Teases here, uh, I'm just having an idea as we go on the fly here. Now, unfortunately we weren't able to get uh, copies in, in front of you guys before uh, recording this, but I see an opportunity there because you guys can have sort of the same uh, view on this as anyone who's listening right now who has not yet picked up the issue. So throw in any questions you have as someone who has not read the issue yet uh, as we're going through here. And uh, that'll be yeah, a, a good mechanic for people who, who have not yet uh, headed out to their shop or online, wherever they buy their issues. So if we'll you do. have anything, yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> I'm just enjoying uh, not putting you on the spot or anything. I yeah, mean, I was, well, well, I am. I'm waiting right now. We're, oh, where uh, where I will turn this car around. <laughs> back to Winnipeg. <laughs> um. Well, I guess you know. One question I I always have, you know, I always hear where people, you know, especially writers, they don't want to engage or they don't want to see you know other media that may influence them i mean mm -hmm. was the cobra kai johnny lawrence thing a direct you know influence on this or was, did you just kind of say hey by the way there's a show that um just kind of happens to land on all the beats that we're we're building here oh it was direct it was um the I actually in the script wrote that one of the main locations happens at the corner of Lawrence and LaRusso, but, um, <laughs> okay. but that, that didn't make it into the book. I don't think, yeah. but uh, it was, I mean, it wasn't um, there's, there's some dialogue in there where if you know the, the Cobra Kai origins, you'll probably yeah. pick up on it. Right. Um, it's not, it's not too overt, but just, just basically for me, what it was is that, uh, 
attitude that that Johnny has at the beginning of Cobra Kai, where he right. he thinks he knows everything, but he's obviously in a in a horrible place. Um, I kind of that's the vibe that I wanted for Jason, where he's doing his thing. He's on. He's basically a drifter. He's washed out of any sort of organization or or uh, um, force that he's ever tried to be involved in, whether it was um, the army or professional wrestling or anything like that. And uh, he's kind of got a, a very nihilistic attitude about things. Right. Um, and so when he meets this protege character, Gan, who has a very positive, very, she's a huge Batman fan. Um, when he sees this, this kid who, who is so high on the whole concept, he's the jaded guy who's been there and done that. And so he wants nothing to do with it. And so, but at the same time, you know, he, he also has great reason to be that way because he was Robin and his time as Robin ended with him being almost beaten to death by the Joker. So he has plenty of reason to be, um, you know, jaded about the whole experience. And that was my um, kind of my next question is, you know, the origin or background story of Jason is very similar to like the Arkham Knight story from that video game. Mm hmm. I mean, have you, did you play the game or were you kind of jumping on that as well too? I've played the game. I, uh, I didn't draw from that, um, really at all. I, so I, I knew less about, before we started this, I knew less about Jason than probably some of the other Robins. Like I, I definitely knew more about Dick Grayson than I did Jason. I, my, uh, my my knowledge of Jason Todd for a long time was, especially when I was growing up in comics, was there was three rules in comics. One is that Thunderbird stays dead, Jason stays dead, and Jean Grey always comes back. And so when Jason came back, I kind of was like, oh, okay, this, whatever. Yeah. And he became this great character. And so before I, before I started working on this, I went back and I, I read a bunch of... Um, Red Hood comics mm-hmm. uh, to kind of get a feeling for him as a character, and I, I came away really liking him as a character. He he has a uh, a much different approach and attitude than a lot of the other ones because he does have a very outside of Stephanie Brown. He does have a very uh, specific endpoint to his time as Robin. So it is it is definitely a um uh an interesting character to dive into. And I, I hopefully, hopefully even though this is a different Jason, there's a, there's enough recognizable stuff that people can grasp onto to be like, okay, that, that feels like Jason, even though we're kind of putting a bit of a tweak on it. Yeah. And that's the, the awesome thing with, you know, the, the Murphy verse, I guess we'll call it that is that, you know, like you said, he's, he's changed the order of the Robins. These are familiar characters, but this is their own thing. And you can do anything and you can go mm-hmm. anywhere with these guys. It's almost like a clean slate. Um, I liked the the story concept of the Arkham Knight where Jason didn't actually die. He was just mm-hmm. kind of captured by Joker and tortured mentally and emotionally. And it changed him. Sure. You know, I, I love the death in the family story. You know, that's a classic. Um, I think I even called in to vote back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I said, Dad, can I have a quarter? And did you Did you vote to kill him? I did. You did. Okay. Because I always kind of had a feeling that maybe 
that competition wasn't on the up and up the way they said it was and that they were planning on killing him anyway but that's just me well and and there's also the the whole legend of someone having used an auto dialer <laughs> oh really oh yeah. that's there's a conspiracy that we need to have an yeah. episode yeah. about yeah conspiracies of the comic oh. world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. skewed election but uh, yeah and there's the the cool wrinkle uh, that you guys put in with uh, Jason as we first meet him in this issue that is very in keeping with uh, the sort of moral gray area that Red Hood traditionally has. When we meet Jason, he uh, takes down some criminals who have robbed a place, mm-hmm. but he is not at all a Robin Hood about it. No, uh, he, no. You know, he, he, from his standpoint is, well, these guys stole this money. I stole it from them. It's mine now. Right. As yeah. well as the booze that they had stolen, so yeah, that's uh, very much in keeping. So yeah, it's you've got uh, those familiar traits of Red Hood there, where he isn't uh, the he doesn't have the Batman morality, but is still uh, on that side more than more than not. Yeah, I I uh, I got a little bit of pushback on that specific scene. Um... And I, 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 I said it was really important that we keep that in because I, Red Hood has always been an anti-hero who's not exactly a Boy Scout. And, um, you know, we don't have him going to the lengths that he has gone to in the mainstream comics in this book. But I wanted to, I wanted to get across that he is, you know, he's, he's not a great guy at this point in his life. He's kind of just doing what he has to do and nothing... <clears throat> nothing really matters to him. And so on the one hand, when we meet him, he's taking down, like you said, he's taking down a gang who's just robbed a liquor store, but he's not doing it out of the good graces of his heart. He's doing it because they stole beer and they have money. And so he steals the beer and the money from them. And so now he's got beer and money to buy dinner that night. Um, and later on when he's, when he's training Gan, he's trying to introduce her to the the Batman grappling hook and he explains to her that lately he's just been using it to steal food out of drive-through windows. Yeah, yeah grabbing burgers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like you know, I, I wanted to get across that this guy—he's kind of a you know—he's a bit of a ne'er-do-well at this point. He's uh, he's been through a lot, and he's he's just kind of surviving at this point. So let me ask: Do you have you bought that NECA Batman '89 grappling hook gun? I haven't. And have, you, and have no. you tried to shoot it through a drive-through? He's waiting like, for me to drop it off when I meet him. <laughs> My, um, uh, I, I just had a quick question from before. Sure. Um, so what was Jason's um, inclination or reasoning to naturally train Gan to automatically become a Robin? Like, why wouldn't she necessarily not just go rogue with him? Like, do you think it was more kind of a redemption thing of him trying to make things right? and having her represent fixing what he wants to kind of happen. Um, he's doing it. Certainly it could go both ways, you know, like yeah. he, she easily gone rogue with him, but yeah. it seems like maybe this is like his, he's kind of living vicariously through his good doings to kind of make things right. Yes. And no, I would say he's doing it primarily because he knows it would piss off Batman. Okay. And, <laughs> He sees this kid. So one of the, one of the things that that 
kind of changes his mind and makes him decide to do it is he kind of um he follows her for a little bit and and sees what she's doing out in in her town and she's 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 doing a lot of like you know uh saving cats from trees and and helping people across the street or maybe stopping a purse purse snatcher here or there and he he kind of re- recognizes that what she is is she's another kid in a Robin costume who's been let down by Batman because Batman doesn't really get out to her neighborhood. And so this is why she feels the need to kind of like step it up. And even, even in that sense, she's not bitter about it because she says, you know, I know he's really busy. Batman can't be everywhere at once and Batman, but what Batman needs is a Robin. And so that's why I've decided to become Robin. And so even in the training aspect, he's doing it more to kind of piss off Batman, prove a point to himself and also, uh, he recognizes enough of himself in this girl that he kind of sympathizes with her a bit. And he's like, okay, well, she's going to get hurt if she does this on her own. So I may as well kind of show her the ropes a little bit. So I would say it starts off more out of spite. But as as the story progresses in issue two, um, it, gets a, it gets a little darker. Uh, and he kind of has to confront his own motivations about things. I'll, I'll say that much about issue two. And, uh, and there's also the aspect that she is, uh, as you mentioned, very much a, a fan of Batman. Like when mm-hmm. Jason first encounters her, she's already dressed in her own Robin costume and calling herself Robin. Right. And, uh, and that her viewpoint uh, on what Batman does, it, it also, uh, fits into the lore of the white knight universe you know she's another resident of the backport area where duke is from mm-hmm. and you know she's saying very much the same thing that we see duke saying in in the the main the i think in the first white knight series that you know batman doesn't batman doesn't get out here so we got to take care of things ourselves and that's really what she's doing but she's uh, more pro batman than maybe duke would have been at the time yeah, she's um you know I, one of the limitations of only doing two issues. We actually originally this was going to be a single 48 pager, but we ended up splitting it to give uh to give Sean a little bit more time on his book. Um one of the limitations of it is you have to cram the story into what amounts to 48 pages and there's a lot about gan that we don't get into that i wish we could have and um one of the things that i i tried to get across as much as i could is that she's a she's kind of a lonely kid she uh her dad works multiple jobs they're immigrants coming from mongolia and um she's kind of by herself the kids at school don't really treat her very well and so i think her taking this route of being a huge Batman fan and taking on the, the, the Robin mantle to kind of do good in her town, in her neighborhood is kind of her way of, of, of finding a place for herself in, in Gotham city where she's relatively new there. And um, I hope maybe someday we'll get a chance to, to, to go back and and do some more with her. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but uh, I, I tried to do as much as I could, <clears throat> to kind of hint at what kind of life she was living without uh, uh, taking too much time away from uh, kind of getting through the things we had to get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It and, sounds like it just, by her doing that, it just gives her more of a sense of identity and purpose and belonging 
um, sure. as a distraction, sure. but she also wants to sincerely do good to, yeah. to be worth something. You know? Yeah, where Jason's motivations are suspect, to say the least. Uh, Gan's motivations are, are entirely pure. Like, she's doing this because she sees Robin and Batman and Robin as this beacon of of hope and doing good and, and feeling comfortable and safe in your community. And so that's the thing that she grasp on, grasps onto. She's not just she's, – she's a super fan, but she's not just a, a, a dumb fangirl. You know, she's really kind of – modeled herself after this uh what she believes the the batman and robin ethos is and you mentioned uh the one aspect of jason uh sort of his moral gray area being something that you got a little bit of pushback on what was there anything else that you got pushback on maybe anything that you weren't that you were stopped from doing uh, no, the only thing that I, when I, I don't want to say fight because it wasn't a fight, but the one thing that they, we did have to, uh, maneuver a little bit was, um, the scene where he steals the beer and starts drinking the beer from the, the, the stoplight gang. Uh, they weren't sure they wanted to have the main character of a Batman book getting drunk and to, to kind of like. <laughs> Uh, assuage that we made sure that he was clearly over 21. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was, that was the only thing that was a little bit dicey, but uh, you know, everything else, we didn't, we didn't push it too far with, with him. So it's you, funny you, that you, a character I mean, shoot people, kill yeah, people. Exactly. Right. That's where yeah, I was going. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. No, no. yeah a, a character who traditionally straight up mercs. Yeah. Yeah, villains. You know, whomever he he is encountering. If he oh, if he, he had can't killed if he had killed all three of those guys and then stole the beer, that would have been fine. But <laughs> if he as long if he's twenty if he's under twenty one and he opens a cracks of beer in an alleyway, then we have to we have to put a stop to it. So. Maybe it was root beer. Yeah, there we go. Now uh, Tom's just back here with us. So uh, Tom, something that you had missed was I had asked Gramps and Teasus. Uh, as uh, readers who unfortunately didn't get to read this issue before we recorded, uh, if you had any questions uh, from that standpoint, from someone who who hasn't yet read, you know, that someone listening to this who maybe hasn't read yet has, uh, just go ahead and fire them out there. I guess um, some. I guess some, yeah. Interesting. Well, something that I wonder is you being an artist. You know, you're writing obviously, but being mm-hmm. an artist and a very gifted art. Hang on. Very gifted artist, might I say. Thank you for the. Uh, you, you guys are you guys are putting my imaginary kids through college. I appreciate it, dude. So I was well. First of all, we told Clay, and then I'll put that out there in the bat force right now. Um, you are you are you put so much time and effort into your commissions. We told you in person. Um, you are way too affordable, sir. And yeah, you hope- you you guys screwed yourselves for the next ones. <laughs> Damn it, Tom. <laughs> Because we told we, we said we this like about, after Boston Fan Expo and all <laughs> Legends and I told each other like, like we're like dude like Clay's fuck like yeah dude like his shit's like cover quality stuff and he's like, yeah man and he's like we gotta tell him like yeah yeah but like after we get our stuff like after- yeah and, and 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 I'm still I'm still hoping that he gets out to to the Toronto show so yeah be quiet about that <laughs> yeah but but uh, speaking, uh so you know coming from the standpoint that like we notice obviously that 
even when you're com- you do your commissions, you just blast it out, go above and beyond. You're constantly thinking as an artist, what's it like um, approaching it from a writer? Do you get the itch sometimes to like want to draw out these scenes that you're writing? Do you have the idea like what visually it looks like in your head? Does that make it easier to write it, or do you think it maybe sometimes makes it more difficult because you're trying to relinquish maybe a little bit of control? Um, honestly, it makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes because, yeah, when I'm writing, um, I've written for myself more than I've written for other people. And so when I'm writing for myself, I'm, I'm laying the page out in my head as I write it. And if I'm writing for somebody else, I kind of have to find a middle ground where it makes sense visually to me as I've kind of laid it out in my brain as I'm typing it but it's not so um, tight that it's going to hamper the artist or restrict the artist because I want them to do as much as they can with it. And if I'm, you know, in there dictating camera angles and, and, and all that kind of stuff, then it gets, it gets really restrictive. Um, I will say I'm not quite used to it yet. Seeing somebody else, draw the stuff I've written because there are some times where what I see in my head has not and I don't mean literally I mean like the spirit of what I see has not translated um, completely to the page and I I always wonder it's like well could I have written that clearer could I have you know focused in on something a little bit more and so I think that's more a learning thing for me than it is any sort of failing because obviously the uh, the artists that we're working with are, are fantastic. But uh, um, yeah, I think there's always always going to be a bit of that where <clears throat> you know I, I'm I'm drawing the book in my head as I'm writing it, and uh, most of the time when I see what they send back, I go, oh well, that's that's better than I thought it was going to be in my head. <laughs> it, it, they are, that's why they're drawing it and I'm not. Um, but I think it's, you know, it comes down to certain sensibilities and stuff where it's like, oh, we're, I envisioned that to be a different kind of thing. And, but the way that they did it came out really nicely. So, um, yeah, that's a long way of saying, yes, there's, there's always going to be the, the artist part of my brain is, is kind of on. Sometimes it actually helps to shut it off. So if I'm stuck with a certain thing and it's like, well, I don't know how this should go, what this page should look like. If I shut that part off, it allows me to be a lot lighter in what I put. And as long as I get across what I want generally to see, then it's up to the artist to make it, to make it work. So as long as it's not like if I shut it off and I realize I've written like 14 panels on a page, then we're, we're in trouble. But as long as it's something where it's like, yeah, this makes sense. Four or five panels, do whatever you want with it. I, I, I trust you to figure it out. You're a good artist. Um, it, it, can, uh, it can make things a little bit easier on me to shut that part off. It reminds me of uh, something that we were talking with uh, Sean and Katana about during the Harley series, because Mm -hmm. there was uh, sort of a lost in translation moment uh, from the script to the art uh, as Mateo was drawing something. It was in a flashback scene where uh, Jack and Harley were at the fair Mm -hmm. and the script had said that they were eating pudding and that was you know that was to to uh, explain like the the pudding nickname sure, sure. origin 
but because in parts of the world, uh, this is what I chalked it up to anyway. And when we were discussing with them, I didn't bring it up with Mateo, but uh, there, there are a lot of parts of the world where pudding is just a term for dessert. Sure. Sure. So when he read pudding in the script and I think he ended up drawing them eating ice cream. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, it didn't result in the origin of the nickname. But there was a, a funny lost in translation thing from the script to the art. Yeah, and stuff like that, you know, sometimes you don't catch that stuff until it's too late. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a battle. You have to decide whether or not you want to fight it or just be, a, you know, Sean always says to me, um, if it's if it's 80% there, then then it's it's good to go. You know, because that, that, there's always going to be a bit of a, a game of telephone between mm-hmm. what you have in your head, what you put on the page and what the person who's reading it sees in their head and what they put on the page. So as long as it's 80, 85% there, then I think you've, you've, you've done your job correctly. And uh, as long as it makes sense to you and it makes sense to read, I, I think, you know, you're, you're on the right track. Yeah. I've heard them say the same thing. That 80% there. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I, I heard him say that also in the sense of, you know, if not killing yourself, trying to make, a page, you know, trying to make every mm-hmm. page 100% perfect because you're just going to kill yourself doing that. And he said, you know, shoot for 80% and, and, and move on. Yeah. Generally, but, uh, I was just going to say, generally what I try to do when I write for other people <clears throat> is I try to write my panel descriptions with the most important information first. So the thing that I really want to see will usually be in the first sentence. So that's because when I read, when I read scripts as an artist, I find the ones where I have to kind of like they, they bury the lead a little bit as to what they're looking for to be the harder ones to read because it's a little bit too wide as to there's no focus on what they want for their image. And so if I if I write a script where I say uh, <clears throat> Jason picks up the Red Hood helmet. And while Gan does this and this in the room, there's blah, 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 blah. It, at, right at the front, you know, the action that you that I want to see is Jason picking up the helmet. And so that way, hopefully it's a little bit clearer for the artist who's reading to be like, OK, that's the first thing in the, in the description. That's the, the, the action of the scene that he really wants to see. And hopefully hopefully that works. That's a good piece of experience to have as as an author, you know, and you've had that other side, you know what you like to see in a script and you're able to apply that to the script that you give to another uh, illustrator. Yeah. There's, there's always, it's, it's really, it can be really tricky with comic scripts because um, I, I had been working with Katana a bit as she's, she was writing this other script for another series that she's been working on. And, um, you know the thing that they always they always say to writers is you can when you're writing a comic book you can't put you can't have a character doing two actions in in one panel because it's a static medium they can only do one thing and so uh some of the stuff that she had been putting in would be like uh you know this person runs over here and hugs this person that kind of thing and i i realized what what, what the issue was and the way that i kind of broke it down for her was if you turn those into kind of past tense it works a little bit better because now it's not a matter of how do i show someone running and hugging it's a matter of oh they have run and they are hugging you know what i mean and so you know what to focus in on where it's like oh you get the motion that they have crossed the room but the thing you're seeing is the hug 
And so once I explained it like that, she was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. No one's ever really kind of broken it down like that. And it's just it's it's little intricacies when it comes to 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 comic scripts that that people can get tripped up on. And it's it's not the most natural writing or frankly reading medium that there is. Like I know multiple people in, in my life uh, who are not familiar with reading finished comics go they'll pick up something I, I've, I've done and they'll go, this looks really cool. I don't think I'm reading it right, but it looks really good. And I was like, yeah, it, it takes a, you kind of forget the deeper you are into reading comics, that it is not the most <laughs> natural way to read things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, following ideally, ideally anybody should be able to do it, mm-hmm. but you kind of forget that it, it takes a little bit to realize, okay, the bubbles are here. This kind of goes this way. It kind of has like a zigzag pattern to the way your eye is supposed to go through the page and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it's just little stuff like that. You kind of have to cue into just through experience and and figure out how to handle, you know, um, your own personal way. It, it's almost like um, being a movie director or being like a head coach where you've kind of, you have the play, but in the midst of all the action, you have the expectations, but you don't know, how this actor is going to improv or, or, sure. or react, but you still get to where you need to get to. Sure. You know? Yeah. It goes yeah. To be, but that middle point, the point of action is the artist getting you where you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I part, you figure I, it out and there's a happy medium and you move forward. Yeah. I will say the, the one thing as someone who had, well, I, I have done a lot of writing for myself that I have writing books that I draw <clears throat> and that allows you a little bit more freedom when you write. Cause obviously, you know, you've got the thing in your head and you know what it's going to look like. Um, it also, what it does is affords you a lot more control over what the final product looks like. And so thankfully I have been on both sides of the equation where I have just been the artist and I've just been the writer. And so I'm a, I'm a little bit more used to um, not being so in control of stuff. Because I think if I had done more writing for myself where I'm the writer, I'm the artist, I'm controlling the colors, I'm, I'm involved with all, everything, I think it might be a little bit more difficult for me to kind of take a step back. But uh, kind of being in the singular roles, I, I think, makes it a little bit easier. On the topic of the art, uh, so Simone and Dave did uh, did great work in this, and for anyone who is watching the YouTube version of this, we have been cycling through some images, so uh, I'm just going to bring those up again. So this is the A cover, uh, Sean Murphy's cover. The B cover right here, this is Olivier Coppel. Mm-hmm. And then here is Simone's cover. This is a 1 in 25, I believe, with Gan and Jason. So for anyone uh, picking up the book, these are uh, your three options. I believe there is a fourth option, which is a foil variant of of Olivier's cover. I think. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I I feel like I've seen that. I I'm not sure if it was an exclusive for somewhere. Yeah, I'm not sure that yeah. what the availability is. I. You know, people say these one in 25 things to me. I'm like, cool. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> so one in 25 is the uh, the ratio for, mm. for comics like that. So for every 25 copies, my shop orders of the the A cover, we can order one of, of that ratio. Oh, okay. There. So it's not completely random. It's 
It's yeah. based on number ordered. Gotcha. Okay. Exactly. It's uh, incentive based, right? Mm-hmm. Want, exactly. They, that makes sense. They want you to hit a hundred, you know, so you can order four and yeah, exactly. that, that's what my shop does. And they tend yeah. to uh, charge a good, good, good amount for it, but it's, it's cool <laughs> to have, cool to have that option. Yeah. All, all part of the game. Of course. Yeah. It's part and of the biz. An interesting thing. This doesn't happen very often. So we're getting, uh, as I mentioned at the top, book one is uh, what, August 2nd, but we're getting book two, August 23rd. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. That's nice and quick. And here is a look at the A cover for Ooh. book two. Shriek. Yeah. <laughs> Sexual. I love that Gan is still on her bike there. <laughs> yeah, the bike was really important to me. Um, I... Uh... <laughs> I had a tougher time getting that bike across than anything else because I wrote it into the script very specifically as a as a as like a ten speed street bike, one of the ones with the curved handlebars on it. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be the least cool bike possible. Yeah, oh, and I so should have had one of those beach like, like she just pulled a, the basket <laughs> off it when she put on her Robin costume. Yeah, and time. then so Sean drew this cover. And he's like, like this, and I, he drew he draw this he drew this really cool mountain bike, and I was like, almost, it's it's <laughs> it's still too cool. Um, and the first version, Simone, if you when you see Simone's cover for for issue two, it's this close up of of the bike she's on, and on the cover, it's clearly like a BMX bike. And I was like, I'm not going to ask him to do the cover. It's fine. It's just the cover. And then in the actual first issue, he had done her bike as like a cool BMX bike. And I had to be like, no, this is too cool. Also, there's dialogue that makes reference to how many gears the bike has. So it won't make any sense if she's on like a fixed gear mountain bike, a BMX bike. So I like I, I had to fight to make it nerdier, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> because Simone obviously draws the coolest stuff possible. And I don't fault him for that. And so Robin on a bike translates to Robin on a cool, awesome BMX kind of bike. So I mean, I, here, I say, here you know, is Simone's cover. Right. Yeah. If you one. like, you can, if you, if you look, it's, it's clearly not a mountain bike, which is totally fine. Cause it still looks awesome. Now would yeah. this bike have the little bling, bling, bling bell Yeah. I should have, I should have pushed it further and I should have yeah. pushed it further and said to put playing cards in the spokes or something. But. Yeah. I, 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 I still think you're lucky that when you got Sean's take on the cover and, you know, you wanted her on the bike, you, you're lucky that you didn't just get her in a Batmobile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean draws every Batmobile known to man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then here is, uh, I believe this is Jim Chung's cover for, yep. for book two. Nice. Very cool Red Hood cover. And uh, yeah, the, that that's a, a very cool uh quick turnaround uh it's nice that we get both issues within the calendar month yeah it was a matter of um i think issue one was delayed because of uh a yeah. paper shortage or something that's so. right that's right i forgot about that yeah so yeah <clears throat> it ended up ends up working out to have a nice bookended month with um literally bookended yeah hopefully that gives you guys the opportunity to merge them together and uh do something where it's a deluxe version where it's more conceptual and stuff like that. You know, yeah. I, I had heard something about that. I don't know if they're going to do that. Um, uh, there had, there had been some like theoretical talk, like depending on how, how much it sells, if they go to reprints or something, they might do something like that. But um, <clears throat> that's obviously not 
official and I have no idea what I'm talking about. So it might happen. It might not happen. So yeah, who knows? I mean, you can always anniversary it and sure. I do know, I do know it will be, um, when beyond the white Knight is collected, both issues will be collected in that trade, I believe. So it'll be one, one piece in there. And uh, hopefully we'll have a uh, Clay McCormick variant cover for one of the white Knight (laughs) issues. Yeah, that's, you know, take it up with management that's not that's mm-hmm. not my uh I'm, I'm happy to be writing um right now obviously i would love to draw as well it's it's so much more stress to do both though um i as much as i do envy the position sean is in i also don't because it is so much work you have to keep up on basically a double double month schedule if you're writing things and, and drawing things and you know in, in this case he's writing he's drawing and he is overseeing and and co-writing this and so it's it's a lot to it's a lot to handle so it's um uh especially on a schedule where you've got eight books coming out you want to make sure they they all hit when they're supposed to hit it's a lot it's a lot to um it's a it's a lot to have on your plate and and just so you're aware i i am uh fully willing to take it up with management i i've i've already <laughs> taken it up with management once uh about the other clay uh clay man doing a, a variant cover <laughs> and now clay posted the teaser of that so we uh we've seen that happening so yeah i i am uh i will go full karen well maybe sometime maybe someday in the future if, if there's more spinoffs or whatever i'll i'll get a shot but you know yeah. right right now I'm i'm happy to be on the team yeah in the way that i am a couple of us are toxic Snyder Bros, so we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of um, experience with demanding some things online and threatening the right. People oh, great! And seeing that come to fruition, so you know whatever you need, just point point us in the right direction. You know, so excellent. I'm, I'm glad I have uh, Tom will grab his pitchfork with no problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I have that uh, force for evil. I can, I can. Uh, wield for my own power yeah well no we'll, we'll donate to some charities to say it's okay you know, the, way we, the way we normally do and then just that way you can't cancel us and you know what are you gonna do sure sure right i don't know if you guys have uh, asked about this yet and we can cut this part out uh if you have not but ha- has it been officially announced the plans um spinning out of uh san diego that you guys were talking about or is that not allowed to be spoken of yet um, I can say that is that there is something else coming, um, but I can't say what it is yet. Gotcha. Uh, it's not. It hasn't been announced, um, but there will be another spinoff. I can say that much. Yes. Cool. Sweet. Nice. Yeah. There's there's so many rogues that could just just flow in with no problem. That yeah. I I'm, I'm imagining in my head already and. Um, I think um, Sean has definitely set the tone with opening up that universe, and it brings great artists like you and opportunities to write and to draw. And um, hopefully, this is just the beginning. You know. Yeah. Thanks, man. I hope so too. Yeah. He's and he's he's going to be opening it up like within the world a bit more towards the, towards the end of um, Beyond. So there'll be a lot more once you once you get to the end of that story, you'll see that. Oh, okay things are really wide open here. So that, um, that's like the cool thing, because in the beginning you start re- reading the first two books and you're like, man, yeah, this is kind of like an Elseworld uh, thing where it's kind of just, it's on its own Island. Mm-hmm. Now, as it's growing in hopefully two or three more years, it's just going to be 
main, not mainstream, but it's going to be accepted that, hey, this is really a part of the continuity of what's going on in Batman right now. So, Yes, I mean, as long as people continue enjoying it, hopefully, you know, it keeps uh, the stories keep coming out. It was it was funny to see online and also in person people like um, really scared about which characters could potentially die and which ones they were worried about dying and who who they feel you guys have teased could die. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really fun to watch. Like yeah. actual anxiety. Yeah, uh, Sean set set the the tone in, in Curse of White Knight that literally nobody is safe and Just. many people could be killed in one. Uh, one two page two page spread, but um, maybe yeah. you can do something like Death of the Family and have a call in vote and I can vote again. <laughs> I, I will. I will say, I can't. I can't give you any details about what the next spinoff is, but there is a. Uh, we found a way around some of that in a way that I think is very fun, um, and very in line with the Batman Beyond universe. So that's not going to make any sense right now, but it will when the book comes out. Spider bodies with somebody with a spider body, maybe. Unfortunately, unfortunately, no. That would wow. that would have been my first choice, but that's not. It's not the way we went. Unfortunately, spider freeze. <clears throat> would have been dope, but hey, man. Now, well, since we're on the uh, topic of you know bothering you about uh, information, <laughs> here's another thing. Uh, we spoke about it last time you were on Bloody sure. Hell. Sure. And uh, mm. not that uh, you would have had much free time to work on this by now, but in Bloody Hell, there is the, the tease of a potential possible sequel. Ha- mm-hmm. Have you uh, had any more time to visit that? Uh, the, not, the idea? not yet. I've been, I've been working on a few other things. Um, I've obviously been working on Red Hood, and I've been working on developing this next thing, um, next spinoff. And... Uh, I'm hoping the next thing that I do is actually I'm going to I've been working on a wrestling comic with um, my my buddy Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, who's been doing really awesome work over at DC lately. And uh, it's something we've been wanting to do for about five years. And uh, finally, the schedules kind of worked out that we can we can maybe get it off the ground. Um, It's called Hard Style Juice. And it's about this sort of uh, female deathmatch wrestler who ends up becoming using her skills in the ring to become a vigilante to track down some information about uh, who may have killed her brother. And oh, so dude. it's, um, it's a little bit, a little bit of uh, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a book. A, my, the thing that I bugs me about wrestling comics generally is that they don't tend to be about wrestling there. It's kind of just like, well, that's kind of a, a backdrop for this other thing that's going on. So my goal was to try and do a comic that was about wrestling as much as it was about anything else and about the, the, the kind of culture over there. Because I think there's, uh, in the, the indie wrestling world, has really kind of blown up in the past handful of years. And the more shows that I've been to um, and the more wrestlers that I've, I've talked to and seen interviews with, I see a lot of uh, similarities between what they do and, and what, uh, people in the comic book industry do, where it's it's sort of like event to event. You're kind of going town to town, trying to pitch things and get certain things off the ground and stuff. And so it 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 kind of I, I've always been kind of attracted and interested in in that kind of uh, independent contractor life. Let's put it that way. 
So, um, yeah, Ricardo did this drawing for a sketchbook a couple years ago of this busted up deathmatch wrestler with like a torn up luchador mask, spitting out blood and, you know, a big boxing glove covered in tacks and stuff. And he sent it to me. And as soon as I saw it, basically the whole story just popped into my head. And so uh, we've been trying to do it for a while. Hopefully this is the year we get it off the ground. Um, I'm talking to a couple companies about it. Uh, and if either way, it's going to be through a company or I'm going to we're going to kickstart it, I think. So ideally, that's the next thing I do. Bloody Heil. I, I'm not quite there yet with that one. Like I've got the pieces, but the story hasn't quite broken in my head yet. But uh, it, it'll, it'll it, I'll get to it eventually. Mm. Yeah. If, anyone not, hasn't, if anyone hasn't checked out Bloody Hell yet, go check that out. I'm just showing the cover in one of the interior pages on the screen here. Did you? Uh, I, I, know you... I, I know for a fact that Gramps is looking at this artwork and he's saying these need to be action figures so he can army build all. <laughs> you brought exactly. uh, you brought a couple of the wraparound Kickstarter ones uh, at San Diego. Were you able to sell oh, them all? Nice. Uh, yes, I did. I sold all of nice. them. Yeah. No. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't bring too many of them because you know I, I I don't have a ton of them left. Yeah. Um. But I I think I yeah I brought like maybe four four or five and yep I sold sold out of it didn't it didn't hurt that Sean was literally sitting next to me so. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what other cons are you planning on uh, through the rest of the year? Uh, right now it's just Fan Expo Boston in August and New York Comic Con in October. I actually. I have a table in Artist Alley for the first time ever at New York Comic Con, so I'm oh, excited nice. about did, that. Did you just lock uh, NYCC? Because I think last time we spoke, you, it was kind of like up in the air. And Yep, it's all set. Yeah, I'm in. Oh, yep. nice. You're going to be able to uh, hang out with us New York boys for that weekend. Cool. Excellent. Sounds good. And then, uh, obviously, you know, hopefully I, I'm, the plan is to see you at Fan Expo. So. Yeah, that would be great, man. Yeah. I, um, looking forward to doing Fan Expo Boston. Uh, I did a show earlier this year in Boston, a new show that that did really well. So I'm hoping, hoping the crowd comes back for uh, for Fan Expo Boston because I, I I was I was like that show. Mm. Yeah, they've been really uh, growing. I think that the Orlando show really blew up. So hopefully yeah. they start moving up the East Coast and bring you know uh, bring that momentum so they can keep growing and you know uh, NYCC and SDCC is amazing because we get twice a year but to get that uh, opportunity to get cons between that um is going to just spark people's interest so you, that way you're going to cons you know 365 yeah i i have not quite um i don't know if i have it in me to be the to be the person who does like a different show every weekend Ugh. the whole year um not only so, so, so I, you would never be a wrestler. That's what you're telling me. Probably, well, yeah, I would be. I would be stuck to my my local territory is what I would do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's like I I have a lot of respect for people who can do that because it's a lot of traveling and it's yeah. um, you know, it's not only is it hard on hard on you physically, but depending on the show you might spend a thousand bucks to go somewhere in the mid Midwest or something. And you don't really make the money back. And so that's a whole thing. And so yeah, I, I have a lot of respect. You have, for to like, you have to maintain the flow state of your work. You know, you need right, you that too. Yeah. to really get these books out and then you can hit the road every now and then, but you guys, you know, have to focus on 
getting the actual work done. Yeah. Also, you know, you don't want to flood the market with my stupid face. So <laughs> make it make it a special special occasion just on the east coast so you just want to do the pay-per-views that's all i'm hearing yeah oh yeah no, i want i want the brock lesnar deal yeah there you go okay that's the new norm yeah yeah, yeah. And no, that's so awesome I, I think uh we're all really excited for tuesday um the one question that i did have before is um since this is your first you know first like primary drop are mm-hmm. you like tossing and turning at night or are you just keeping your cool um like do you feel more at ease because everything's done and yeah i um i'm i'm not nervous about it at all that that actually that that image you have up there uh i did that for jason um that's actually the first time i've ever drawn gan so that which was fun so i i I got to, to to draw that for him that was that was pretty fun um yeah it doesn't really bother me um i the one thing that i have thought about um, is I, I hope that the reaction to Jason is positive because um, he is a bit different than he is in the main book. Um, and I just, I hope that fans of the Red Hood don't feel like we slaughtered their favorite character or something like that. And, um, and I also hope people like Gan because I think she's, I think she's fun and I think she's got a, an interesting corner of the Batman universe that she occupies um so i guess that's the one thing i i'm kind of i've kind of been thinking about like well after this book comes out like you said now i'm now i'm a batman author and that opens me up to a a much wider audience for better or worse i guess both um so uh yeah that's that's kind of as far as the book itself like you're so at at this point you're just you just want to see it out you know because it's (laughs) it's been a long road to get the book done. And um, by the time it finally gets out, it's like, frankly, I'm sick of looking at it. So <laughs> it'll, I mean, it'll, it'll be nice when I, if I, I go to a store and I see it there and all that kind of stuff, but it, it's uh, usually for me, it's like, by the time the book comes out, I'm already kind of thinking about, all right, what's the next thing I'm going to do. I, I, I have to, I do have to learn. My girlfriend tells me I have to, to learn to take a minute to celebrate the accomplishments, but I kind of think I always think of it kind of as a ladder where it's like, you know, you grab one rung and it's the next one you got to worry about. But that'll that'll burn you out, too, if you you do that too much. It'll be interesting to the first time you see a Gan cosplayer. I can't wait. I hope so. And then it'll come full circle and you'll be like, wow, this is really connecting. I do remember the first time someone told me they got a tattoo of my artwork, which was awesome but i was like i don't know why you wanted to do that but i'm very flattered yeah <laughs> it, tom actually told me it was a tramp stamp but well yeah we we can't show tom's tattoo on uh on yeah, the youtube it, video here we'll it, get uh we'll get banned flag. it was just the logo of bloody, no limits it was just the logo of bloody hell and then an arrow pointing down i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's multi-layered because if i if i like if i move a certain way there's actually a fold and open and then a fold. And, and we'll, I appreciate it, Clay. It looks amazing. Oh, no problem. Happy to do it. Uh, as someone who has read the issue, I, I, I will say that I do like your characterization of Jason in this. Uh, I think Thank he's you. true enough to what people will expect him to be. And I do like Gan as well. I think her, her upbeat personality is a great foil to 
Jason's, uh, you know, kind of grumpy, uh, down in the dumps kind of guy, and their interactions are are really good together. Great, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping people find it funny because I, it's it's meant to be kind of lighthearted for a lot of it. So mm-hmm. hope people enjoy it. I mean, that, that's pretty incredible to be able to add to the Robin mythos to, especially from a female um, edition. So that's that's really a big deal. You know, there's not too many, and I think that's that's something you should be proud of. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And this may be the first Robin that exists for the purpose of pissing off Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she was doing stuff, obviously, but but Jason, you know, kind of wants. Oh yeah, yeah, he won't like this. I feel like Damien is kind of exists for the purpose (laughs) of pissing off Batman. No, yeah, I think I think she's. you know, we, we, we really wanted to make her a, b- a little bit different, you know, um, because all the Robins, regardless of gender or ethnicity, are all kind of the same body type and character. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to add something different to the mix to make her, um, you know, a different style of fighter with a different origin of her uh, inspirations and stuff like that. So hopefully... There, there's uh, more opportunity for, like, relatability for everyone. You know, it's like, hey, I can... Sure. She's different. Uh, she's comes from a different ethnicity, different background. Um, she's definitely had, um, you know, a certain social um, situation. So it, there, I think there's, again, I haven't read it, but I think there's going to be something in this character that a lot of people are going to relate to on some level. And that's what's going to make her unique. So, Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that I like about her is. And what I think makes her relatable to a lot of people is that she's she's not born explicitly out of tragedy where everybody everybody who wears a mask in a Batman book has some horrible thing that's happened to them in the past, which is, you know, that's just how the, the things work. It's totally fine. Um, but she is very much kind of like a normal person. She's she has her own issues that she's working through, but they're very relatable issues of of. Uh, uh, familial life and you know her parents aren't dead they're separated and she's alone a lot but her parents are still alive um and uh she's got her own stuff that she's working through that's a little bit different i think than um than a lot of other characters so hopefully yeah, it's relatable yeah initially that's gonna when, off that man <laughs> initially when you were talking about the fact that she felt the need to represent uh for batman because <sighs> He did. He wasn't in that area, but it kind of reminded me of Carrie Kelly a little bit. Like, sure, Carrie yeah. Kelly wanted to be part of this and to show Batman that she was worthy of wearing um, the Robin um, outfit. And you know, she did her makeshift suit. But to me, like that was that direct connection, and that's what I really love that you're kind of revisiting someone that has that DNA uh, to represent Robin. Yeah, if you notice on the cover you have up there, she actually has a slingshot on her belt, which was oh, meant shit. to be a. Oh. a uh, homage to Carrie. But I would say the difference between her and Carrie Kelly is that um, Carrie Kelly was was working to impress Batman and Gan Gan hooks up with Jason explicitly to help her own cause. Like she is trying to she's she's not trying to impress Batman. She's basically trying seeing that there's a, a, a pocket of his thing that has been left uh Un, unsupervised basically and so she's like well obviously someone needs to step in here and take care of this neighborhood and she's the one who's going to do it so although she's a super fan when she meets jason it's more of like a well we have a i have a super villain 
who lives in my neighborhood and I need you to train me so I can take him down. It's not about, it's not about, uh, I need to prove to you. I need to prove to Batman. She's like, no, I have a thing I need to do. I just don't have all the tools to do it. You can give me the tools to do it. So why don't you just help me be Robin? That's cool. Cool. And it's different. (laughs) Can you imagine knowing that a super villain lives in your neighborhood? He keeps it low key, man. That's his whole thing is that he keeps it. Uh, we get into it a bit in the second issue where uh, he lives in he lives in Backport. He doesn't he doesn't even jaywalk in Backport. He that's just where he lives. He does all of his crime in in the in the, the main body of Gotham City. So he's as surprised as anybody else that someone's gunning for him in Backport. But <laughs> he's he's an exporter of crime. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> he does all of his crime over the bridge. <laughs> well, we can. Uh... I think maybe leave it at this. Uh, let Clay get back to life. Uh, you've got some preparations to do, I'm sure. But uh, we appreciate the taking the time to be back and talk about this. August 2nd, Batman White Knight presents Red Hood. Clay McCormick, Sean Murphy, uh, Simone DeMeo, and Dave Stewart. Get out there and pick it up. By the time you're hearing this, it is it is already there. It is available. You have no excuse to not get it. Uh, anything you want to leave uh readers with clay um just thank you thank you guys for picking it up thank you for uh checking it out and and really embracing this universe and this approach of characters because uh you know this is my first first dc comics work um it's still a trip to see my name on the cover next to those two letters and you know if you if you just look at the cover it's just i couldn't have asked for a a better team of people to do a first book with. Um, so, you know, thanks for checking it out and, and, uh, and let me into the Batman universe. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks Clay. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate Have it. A good one. And thank you for listening to Batforth radio. We will see you next time.